You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast, a regular dose of Christ-centered encouragement to put your mind in a better place. Listen in as Pastor John Stonge shares Bible studies, interviews, training, and some of his most recent sermons. We're glad to have you with us today. In Christ, we have a brand new way of thinking. In Christ, we have a brand new mindset. And when you look at the portion of Scripture we're going to be looking at today from Colossians chapter 3, starting with verse 12, we're going to be talking about the mindset for approaching each new day with grace. And what does that look like? And one of the things that I I really appreciate about the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote is that in each of these letters, you, you typically find a segment of Scripture that's intensely practical. And I tend to have a pragmatic personality, and so I gravitate toward certain things like that that I think are are wise counsel. And a lot of times what happens is the Apostle Paul, when he's he's writing things out, he'll start a book off with a lot of theological and foundational information, and then segue somewhere in the book to how that applies to everyday life. And the portion of Scripture that we're looking at today from Colossians 3 is one of those sections where he's given us some foundational theological information, and he's now segueing it into showing us what we're supposed to do with it. And here we see this mindset for approaching each new day with grace. When you look at Colossians 3, starting with verse 12, it says this, "'Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience.'" Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the privilege that it is to be able to come together this morning and look at your word together and to meditate on its content and to think about how you desire that we grow in our walk with you and how we apply these truths to our lives. Lord, we're just so grateful for the privilege to be able to assemble this morning to to worship you and to be able to spend a good portion of time looking at what your word states and thinking about how these things are meant to impact our daily lives and how these things are meant to impact the way we relate to one another. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have access to it, and we thank you that your spirit is making your word clear to our minds and our hearts, and he is giving us the insight and the understanding that we need to apply these things to our day-to-day living. So, Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you for your presence with us now, and we commit this time to your care, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, a few weeks ago, you probably remember me mentioning that I was about to do this, but a few weeks ago, I I flew to Florida for a brief two-day conference. So it was a real quick, it was almost unfair in the sense that you fly to Florida, and it was still February when I flew there, and when you fly to Florida in February and you live in Pennsylvania, you want it typically to be more than two days, right? But it was a a quick two-day conference, 
And here's the thing. During this season of life, I've started to realize the importance of attending things like that. I actually try and purposely pepper my schedule throughout the year with certain things like that, because when you think about my daily life, and I know that some of you are well aware of this, I spend the majority of my time teaching and counseling and pouring into the lives of others, but for many years, I neglected being strategic or intentional about finding some sources of investment back into my mind, back into my heart, things like that. One of the strangest realizations I actually had to adjust to when I became a pastor was I realized, wait a second, that means I no longer have a pastor. You know, so up to, up to that point in my life, I felt like I had a pastor, and then when you become a pastor, you don't always automatically feel like you have a pastor. And so because I want to be one of those guys that lasts a long time in this role, I've started to be a little bit more intentional about budgeting some of my time and budgeting some of my finances to make sure that I'm making investments in my growth and in my spiritual maturity and in my walk with the Lord and things like that. And so I arranged this conference, arranged to attend this conference many months ago. I knew for a long time I was going to this. I booked the flight a long time ago. I booked the hotel a long time ago. And I booked the rental car a long time ago and paid for the ticket to go to it uh, a long time ago as well. And I didn't have any problem with the flight. I didn't have any problem with the hotel, conference registration. Everything went fine. But I did have one problem. And my problem was this. My unfortunate surprise, I could call it, was when I got to the airport, I landed in Jacksonville, Florida, and I go to pick up my rental car, and the people that are supposed to run the shuttle to take me to pick up my rental car, there's nobody there. There's, not, there's, there's nothing. I'm like, where, like, where is this? And so I, ca- I call the number for kind of the corporate office for the rental car company. I said, yeah, I'm, I have a reservation for 6 p.m., and uh, I was supposed to pick up my rental car so I could actually get to the hotel and get around while I was down there. And they said, hold on, let's find out why nobody's there. Let's, let's figure this out. We'll call you back. And so I'm just sitting there in the airport waiting. And they call me back and they said, yeah, basically, uh, they didn't have anyone to work this shift, so they just shut it down. <laughs> and I thought, so that means that I have no way to travel now, right? Like, I'm just stuck at this airport. And the guy sounded compassionate on the phone, but he was pretty much like, yeah, that's pretty much what it means. Like, you're just stuck at the airport. And, uh, and so in that moment, I, obviously I was annoyed, right? I, I think anyone would be annoyed because this is stuff that I reserved a long time ago. I don't like last-minute surprises. I had all those details taken care of, and I thought to myself, all right, you have two choices right now. You have two choices. You could either get angry and ruin this leg of your trip. You've been looking forward to this for a while, and you could start it off with being annoyed if you want right? You could do that if you want. Or you can laugh about this, treat it like an unexpected adventure, right? And then try to figure out a transportation solution. Now, thankfully, I chose the latter. I thought, I'm not going to let this ruin things. I can't control that. That's outside my control. I'm going to figure out another solution. So I went to the rental car counters of the other companies that are there at the airport, and I started talking to them. But then this is what I discovered. Every car they had was reserved, and they had no extra. And I thought, okay, so that didn't work. And uh, I sat down. I wasn't sure what to do at this point. I was thinking, I'm like, what am I, what am I supposed to do? And I, I, I just I thought, because my hotel was like an hour and 10 minutes or so away from where the airport was, and I thought, this isn't like, if I have to rent a, or like pay for a taxi or Uber, that's going to be pretty expensive. And I, I thought, let me, let me think here. And so I just sat down on a bench prayed about it, thought about it for a minute, and then this idea came to my mind. It's like, wait a second, 
you, a while back, you heard of a rental car company that is like the Airbnb of rental cars, where you just rent a car from a private owner. See if that'd work. I'd never used that before. And so I installed the app on my phone, and then I attempted to rent a car. And I couldn't find anything right away. But then finally, I found a Corolla that was available. I was like, perfect, Corolla. And it was still this, it was the same budget as the Kia Rio or whatever it was. I always rent cheap rental cars. Like, I always look to see, like, uh, what's the cheapest they have, the basest model that they have. And, uh, and, uh, and I, th- I found something that's, like, in that price range. All right, so I, I, I pressed reserve, and, uh, and then it said it wasn't available. And I was like, come on. But the owner of it contacted me back, and he, he said, he said, that one just got booked. Somebody else took that. He said, I have one other car, though, if you want it. And at this point, I'm desperate. I said, I said yeah, like, that'd be great. And he said, it's a Mercedes C-Class. <laughs> and I was like, come on. And I, I, and I was like, I just laughed about it. I was like, okay. And, uh, and it cost twice as much as my reserved rental. So this has now doubled what I was planning, what I budgeted to pay for a rental car. And I was like, well, at least I get to drive this Mercedes around, right? I was not impressed with it. Can I just admit to you, I was not impressed with that car. I think I would have rathered my extra money back. You know, I was like, come on. But it was fun. And I, I, I was glad that it all worked out. And, um, and I, you know, I think about stuff like that because... Every day, you and I, as we go through our lives, we experience moments that unexpectedly test our patience. And things that, or or maybe even people that test our patience, or people that let us down. Or solutions that are outside of our control that could very easily provoke us to anger. Right? I mean, that's pretty much a daily occurrence for us, in one way or another. But here's the thing, and this is what I think the Apostle Paul is trying to get at with the things that, that we're looking at today in Colossians 3. As believers in Christ, we do not need to give in to the provocations of this world. You don't have to. You can choose to, because unexpected things will come up, or people might treat you in a way that you don't really appreciate, and you could give in to those provocations, but you actually don't have to. It is a choice if you give in to those provocations. Because the Spirit of God is transforming the way we think. And because He's transforming the way we think, He's also transforming the way we approach each and every day. And we can approach each day with a new mindset, a mindset of grace that actually reflects the heart of Christ. That is a choice that we are empowered to make. You and I have that ability. And in Colossians 3, starting with verse 12, which we just read a moment ago, and I'll reread these sections here, Paul explains what this new mindset looks like when it's actually lived out. And a lot of the illustration here he gives is this idea of how it's lived out with us, believer to believer. Because even as believers, we can sometimes test each other's patience or let each other down or whatever it may be. And he's saying, listen, this is how this mindset is lived out. So look at some of the things that he points out here. I think it's intensely practical. And I think one of the pieces of advice that he displays here is this idea that we can let our patients display our understanding of the gospel. Now, uh, I, I want you to just think about that for a second. The patience you display really will demonstrate how deeply you understand the nature of the gospel. The way you treat people will display what you understand to be true. Let me reread verses 12 and 13. Paul says it this way. He says, "...put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved..." compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, 
bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Let's pause there for a second. So one of the things each and every one of us do each day, it's one of the first things that we do each day, really, is we decide what we're going to wear. When you wake up in the morning, you decide what you're going to wear, and then you dress yourself in whatever you've selected. Our spiritual lives operate in the same fashion. So in a passage like this, you have the Apostle Paul telling us to put on something here. So it's the idea of clothing yourself in something. So clothe ourselves in such a way as to display the mind and the heart of Christ as we interact with one another. That's what he's actually challenging us to do here. We dress in such a way as to acknowledge our real identity. You know, as we're putting on these attributes, as we're putting on these character traits, as we're being dressed in this, we're we're acknowledging our real identity. Scripture reveals who we are in Christ. The Word of God explains to us here that we are chosen children, and we are holy and beloved in God's eyes. So you're chosen. He chose you to be part of His family, and you're holy and beloved in His eyes. That's how He sees you. So if that's how he sees you, and that's how your real identity is actually measured in the kingdom of God, should we not also dress in such a fashion to reflect that? Meaning, how we're dressing our attitude, how we're dressing our mindset, how we're dressing our day-to-day interactions. When we come to a mature understanding of who we are and how God sees us, I think that's reflected in our attitude and how we carry ourselves in this world. And frankly, I think the way we interact with others it offers one of the clearest forms of demonstration of how deeply we understand the nature of what Christ has done for us. I think the way I interact with somebody else is going to reveal a lot about my heart. And I think the way you interact with other people is going to interact, or it's going to demonstrate a lot of things about your heart. It demonstrates our understanding of what Christ has done for us. So when we come to understand that we were rebellious, that we were ignorant, that we were arrogant that we were self-absorbed people when He found us and when He saved us and when He gave us new life in Him, I think we'll probably be more likely to respond to other people with the kind of grace that we were shown when we didn't deserve to have that grace shown to us. It's not like Christ looked at me or looked at you and said, boy, they've just got it all together. Maybe they'll let me kind of get in on some of that, right? Maybe we could be pals, he looked at us and he said, all right, you're completely lost and you're, you're, you're destined for an eternity of condemnation. You're full of yourself. You're arrogant. You think you know things that you don't know. You think you know more than God. And he looked at us and he said, I can fix that. And I choose to fix that. I don't want to leave you in that spot. And so he intervened and he showed us his mercy and he showed us his grace. And he forgave us even though we didn't deserve that kind of forgiveness. And Paul challenges the church. He gives a a little bit of a list here. He he challenges the church to respond to one another and to to respond to others with things like compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. Now, why would he say demonstrate these things to other people? He's telling us demonstrate these things to other people because that's the very list of things that's been demonstrated to you. And he admonishes us to bear with one another. There are people in your life that you're bearing with, right? Good job. Keep it up until you die, all right? Just until you die, and then you can take a little break, right? 
But between now and, and, and our, our, the, the day we take our last breath, bear with one another, be eager to forgive one another, because why? Jesus forgave you. And if you won't forgive somebody else, that is a perfect demonstration of the fact that you are forgetful. Because you're forgetting that Jesus forgave you. If you will, if you will harbor bitterness in, so, in your heart towards somebody else, and you let it sit there like a kernel that's just going to grow into a tree of bitterness, producing the fruit of bitterness. It's the same as saying, I don't really think much about the forgiveness that's been offered to me. Now, naturally speaking, that is not easy to do, right? It's not easy to bear with one another. It's not naturally easy for us to forgive one another, but Christ inspires us to do it anyway. And over time, I honestly believe that he makes it a little bit easier for us to do so. And let me explain why I'm saying it that way. I think the more we learn to dwell on the forgiveness that he offers us, and the more we learn to demonstrate it to other people, the more familiar it becomes. It stops being a distant memory and a distant practice, and it starts to become the way we conduct our lives, the way we go about life on this earth. And, uh, and gradually speaking, it just becomes our new way of life because it becomes our new way of thinking. And so here you have the Apostle Paul admonishing us, basically, if I could summarize it this way, let your patience display your understanding of the gospel. I believe the level of patience we demonstrate to one another does demonstrate our understanding of the gospel. And then Paul goes on. He shows us something else that's rather practical here. And he, he encourages us to basically let genuine love motivate the way you see other people. Look at how he says it in verse 14. He says, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, I bring this question up probably a few times a year. It's actually something that I think is, is a, a regular thing that we ought to be thinking about. So I purposely bring it up, but I, I want you to think about something that sometimes I bring this up on a communion Sunday too, because I think it's a good time to talk about forgiveness. But I just want to ask you, just to be thinking for a moment, is there anyone in your life that you genuinely struggle to forgive? Someone in your life that you genuinely struggle to forgive. So do you know people who have either hurt you deeply or disappointed you regularly or betrayed you or harmed you or maybe even abandoned you? How do you feel when those people come to mind? When somebody like that comes to mind, how does that make you feel? And how much time do you spend thinking about them? Or maybe I could even ask it this way. How much time do you spend trying to not think about them? So it probably would not surprise you to know that there are some people in my life who have hurt me in small ways and in big ways. And at one season of my life, I, I actually had to honestly wrestle with the fact that, that when I thought about some of those people, I, if I was truly honest and truly transparent, I honestly had to admit that I had hatred in my heart for some of those people. I hated some of those people, right? And, uh, and I remember really thinking about that at one point. It's like, I kind of hate those people. And it's a little too easy to like, have that like, fall off your tongue, but it was true. And then when you look at what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, he tells us that, he, that hatred is the root cause or the seed of murder. That when we, like, that when we foment hatred in our heart, it's really it's, it's the root emotion, it's the root response that leads to murder. I thought, all right, well, I definitely don't want 
a murderous heart. I don't want my life or my mindset dominated by hatred for anyone. And so I remember really wrestling with that. And that invited me or led me to a practice that I'll recommend to you because I find it immensely helpful when it comes to people like that. And I have a a practice that in, in much of my adult life now that I have adopted that I think aligns with the heart of Christ, but it's something that I need his help to do, and I think it's something you'll need his help to do as well. Instead of brooding with hatred, instead of brooding with bitterness, when you think of the people that have provoked you or hurt you or, or whatever they've done, do this. Ask the Lord to help you see those people with his eyes. Just ask him to help, help you see those people with his eyes because he loves the people that I struggle to like. He already loves them, right? He loves the people I struggle to like, so I want to love them too. It's kind of like when you meet somebody and they're... And, they are just like a terrible person to you. And then you think about the fact that that person has parents, and those parents actually love that mean person. And you're like, how could they love that person? You know, like, that person's terrible, like really bad, right? You know, that's what we think. And then you realize that by virtue of being our creator, God, the father of creation, you know, he looks at us. And so if, I, if, I'm, if I'm looking at other people, and particularly other Christians, I'm and I, I'm allowing a seed of bitterness or a seed of hatred to, to take root in my heart. I'm hating the very person that God loves and calls his child. Why? Like, what sense does that make? What sense does that make? And imagine that kind of emotion as it's expressed to God. Hey, I hate one of your kids. Oh, that's nice. How do parents feel if they... T- if it's like, oh, I love most of your kids, but one of them I hate. Try that. Say that to a parent sometimes. See if they're still your friend, Right? Like that, yeah, that kid, that one's the worst. The other ones are good. I hate that one, though. That's what we were doing to God. That's what I've done to God, right? It's like, I hate one of your kids, God. It's like, good for you. You should fix that. Let me help. So in recent years, I've also started to become a bit more intentional to pray for some of these people. I hope this will be practical for you. It certainly helps me. I've actually started to pray God's blessings on the lives of the people who throughout the course of my life have hurt me the most. So there's a few people on my list, people that I found particularly hurtful. I I pray that God would bless them. And I really do want him to bless them. I also like what it's doing in my heart when I start praying for people that way. You know, it's hard to hate or resent people that you've been praying for. It's hard to hate or resent people or get upset about seeing blessing taking place in their life when you've been directly asking God to do that. So then when you see good things happen in their life, you say, thank you, God, because I've been praying that you would do that for that person. You've been actively asking God to bless them. And I have to say, it is a very liberating way to live. It's a very liberating way to live. It's way better than being irritated or annoyed about the people things that people do. Because we've all offended other people and we've all needed forgiveness. If I have a, a small view of the forgiveness that I needed, it becomes hard for me to forgive other people. But when I start to understand the nature of the offense of my sin against a holy God and what it really took, the fact that it took God the Father to send God the Son and have him come to this earth, be tortured and nailed to a cross and die so that my sin could be forgiven. And I think, huh, I'm just upset at that person because of words they said. Or maybe I'm upset at that person because of physical pain they might have caused. 
but it certainly wasn't physical pain to the nature of what Christ endured for me to be forgiven. And so when I think about that, I think, all right, Lord, help me to have a true understanding of the nature of forgiveness that you've shown me, and please bless these people that over the course of my life have wronged me. Draw them unto yourself. Show them your love. Give them a new view of what life can look like if you're at the center. The Apostle John, during the course of his his earthly life, he was actually known for encouraging the church to seek the best for one another, even at great personal cost to themselves. That's the essence of biblical love, right? You're talking about like this idea of seeking the best for... We're not just talking about an emotion, right? We're talking about an action. Seek the best for somebody else, even at great personal cost to yourself. That's what Christ did for us. The Apostle John, during the course of his life and ministry, he encouraged the church as a church leader, as an apostle. That was the big message he kept talking about over and over and over again. And in fact, when you read the five books that that he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write, whether whether it's the Gospel of John or 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, or even throughout the book of Revelation, you can see that as a theme. You can see this expression of love one another because you have received love from God. And so that was a message that John would share all the time. Now, today we're reading the words of the Apostle Paul, but you can see the Apostle Paul saying the same thing. Why? Because the Holy Spirit inspired both of these men to write what they wrote. And in this passage, I, I see Paul trying to, con, trying to help the church to understand that, that truth, right? We are being sustained. We are being held together in Christ's love, right? He says, and above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So we're being held together in Christ's love. And love binds the attributes of the new nature that Christ is demonstrating through our redeemed lives. And so we have the opportunity to express love. It's just part of this new mindset. It's part of this new way of thinking that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. A third thing that, that this portion of Scripture brings out that's really practical that I hope you'll find useful as well in your walk with Christ is this. Let the presence of Christ permeate all aspects of your life, not just a segment of your life. There are many people that try to live with Christ as a facet of their life, but they don't want Christ to permeate every aspect of their life. They have a compartment for Him that is accessible when needed, they, some would say. But what the Scripture actually teaches is, no, let the presence of Christ permeate every aspect of your life. Don't hold a single thing back. The way Paul says it here when you look at verse 15 and 16 is this. He says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I'm going to read it again for emphasis, but he says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So let's think for a second together about the things that are informing our beliefs. What informs your beliefs? You know, what are the primary sources of information that you submit your eyes and your ears to on a daily basis? I think it's probably true to say that only a very small group of professing believers can honestly say that their thinking is primarily fed by the Word of God. I think most professing believers, to our detriment, primarily feed our eyes and feed our ears what this world is trying to feed us. That's a constant struggle that all of us are in. 
And because that's such a struggle, I actually think that that's one of the primary reasons that so many, even professing believers, are struggling to find peace in this world. Or they're trying, maybe I should say it this way, they're struggling to experience peace to its fullest extent. But deep down, we know we want lasting peace. We're just sometimes confused about how we get it. And so Paul clarifies that here, in case you've been wondering, like, how do do I get this peace? Well, Scripture reminds us to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Our hearts are to find rest. Our hearts are to find satisfaction. Our hearts are to find contentment in Christ. A lot of times we try and find rest, satisfaction, and contentment in what? Our circumstances. So if my day is going well, or if my... if geopolitical circumstances are going well, then I feel like I have peace. But what this is saying is, no, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. You're going to find rest. You're going to find satisfaction. You're going to find contentment in Him. And when we find that rest in Him, we're called to bring that peace to the lives of other people by using the tools that are at our disposal. So what are these tools that that are being revealed to us here that we actually have access to? How does the Lord want us to use these things to to really promote the peace of Christ or share the peace of Christ? Well, the Lord's given us His Word. He's given us His Word to inform our lives. He's given us His Word to feed our souls. He's also given us His Word to counteract the lies of the evil one so that we won't believe falsehood, so that falsehood will be exposed and we'll be able to see it for what it is. And He's also given us His wisdom so that we could understand His Word and admonish one another, speak into one another's lives, encourage one another in the midst of of, of hard seasons. He's also given us mouths. And your mouth can pray for your brother or sister. Your mouth can speak a word of encouragement or wisdom. He's also given us music. Why do you suppose music is such a big part of Christian worship? Why is that such a big deal to us? It's a gift from God. I have to tell you, during my most difficult seasons, one of the things that I go to, it's like a, a go-to, it's almost like, even if, it's funny, like whether it's a difficult season or whether it's a great season or what, whatever season it is, I pretty much go to music all the time, right? All the time. This week, I was, I kid you not, this, my wife has been subjected to this. Maybe if we're, if we're friends on Facebook, you've already seen this. I discovered um, some German polka rock music. And I'm like, is there such a thing? There is such a thing. Look at my Facebook page. Check out the group that I posted on there. I don't know a single thing that they're saying. Maybe a few things they're saying. But I'm like, I'm I'm loving this, right? And I'm sitting there listening to it on repeat, and I'm making my kids listen to it, and I'm making my wife listen to it. We went out for a date on Friday night, and then I hooked up my phone to the Bluetooth in my car, and I'm playing this music, and she's like, all right, I'm not going to lie. It's actually good. And I checked my Facebook this morning, and a friend of mine, Tim Madeira, if you're listening, he uh, directs a radio station up in uh, northeast Pennsylvania. He said, all right, so I clicked on that video, and it's like a rabbit hole. I'm just listening to all the different songs by this group. And I'm like, I'm going to get this group popular in America. That's my goal, right? And I can't even say their name correctly. Uh, but, but regardless, one of the things that I, I'm so grateful for and how the Lord in his, in his artistry has wired the human brain and his blood. He's taught us to make music. And he knows that that ministers to people because you've actually been designed to be ministered to by it. 
And in fact, when you look at what Scripture describes about heaven, there's going to be music in heaven, unlike things we've ever heard. So the greatest stuff that you enjoy right now, your favorite albums, your favorite bands, whatever it is, you haven't even heard anything yet. You haven't heard anything yet. You know, we're going to hear stuff that's just going to blow our minds. And we're designed to be ministered to by it. And I have to tell you, one of the things that actually helps me... So I I said to my wife, going back to the German polka rock music, I said to her, you know, I've always... My family ancestry is German, but I can't speak German. I know a few words and that sort of... I said to her, I was like, boy, I'd love to learn German. I wonder if at this season of my life I'll ever learn it or if that's just like something I'll never commit myself to. And one of the things we were talking about, the fact is, well, you know, I guess if I keep listening to this music, I'll probably start picking up at least some pronunciation, right? It's going to teach me something. It's going to get something in my head. How many times have the scriptures gotten into your head because of of a song that you've heard on a Sunday morning? How many times have you been able to memorize scripture because of the gift of music? I bet you a lot. How many things do you know about God because of the music that he's given us? I have to tell you, when I was 12 years old, I wasn't really serious in my faith, but you know, my prime, one of my primary influences was a Christian band that I was listening to at the time, and a lot of my early and foundational theology that I learned, I learned from that band. So, I mean, think about that. That is a tool, and I got to talk to the lead singer a few months ago as well. It was really exciting. Tried not to fan out, right? But I was fanning out in my mind. But a lot of my early theology, where did I learn it from? Music. And then you look at Paul's list here, and he said, all right, let's list the tools. You've been given the Word of God. You've been given a mouth. You've been given the opportunity to pray for each other and speak to one another and admonish one another. And he's like, oh, and by the way, sing. Sing. I love how he says it here, right? He's like, what do, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And in your mind, you're like, what's the difference? And I say, what's the point? Just sing a whole bunch of stuff that glorifies Jesus in the hearing of other people. I'm so thankful for those that help lead us in worship here on Sunday mornings. We have a, Josh does a great job organizing that and leading that for us, and there's so many people involved in that. You get to hear different groups and different flavors each week as they come and they serve and they minister to us. But this is one of the ways that we have been designed by God to grow in our faith. This helps us understand the Word of God. This helps us worship God. This also helps us minister to one another. And so here you have the Apostle Paul saying, do this stuff. Invest in other people and be invested in by them so that you continue to grow and so that you live in a constant posture of the peace of Christ ruling your heart. In this world's values and in this world's mindset, you're not going to find peace. If you're trying to find peace in this world's values and in this world's mindset, it's not there. You will find war. It'll be between nations or between people. you find divisions between people. You'll find yourself engaged in arguments about matters that, that have no eternal consequence or significance, and yet you'll be treating them like they do have eternal consequence or significance if we're trying to find peace through this world or through its mindset. But what do we find in Christ? What does the Scripture reveal to us? In Christ, we find lasting peace. And His Word is sowing the truth of that into our hearts and into our minds. 
And if his peace is permeating all aspects, if his presence is permeating all aspects of our lives, that's going to come out in a variety of ways. And it's not going to just be a blessing to us. It's going to be a blessing to anyone that gets anywhere near you. If the presence of Christ and the peace of Christ is just saturated into the way you speak and the way you think and the life that you live, that's going to bless anyone that gets within two feet of you. One other thing that Paul brings up here, and um, I, I love how, how this section that we're looking at today, how we're ending with this verse, because it's a very useful verse, really, for any season of life. But I think in this day and age, it's particularly useful. And he encourages us here to live free from the desire to bring glory to our own name. Live free from that desire. Free yourself from that desire. Don't be, don't be consumed with the desire to bring glory to your own name. Look at how he says it in verse 17. He says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, one of the greatest temptations we experience in this world is is the temptation to make our own name great. Right now, I mean, you just look at some of the things taking place in this world. Kings will go to war in order to be remembered as being powerful, right? They'll do that for the glory of their own name. Many people throughout history have essentially sold their souls for fame or for notoriety. And I think, what about us? How interested are we in bringing attention or glory to our own name? I want to show you one of my favorite quotes related to this specific thing. It's one of my favorite quotes. It was spoken many, many years ago by Nicholas Zinzendorf. Not a cool last name, Zinzendorf, right? And he's quoted as saying this. Let me show you. I'll just bring it up on the screen. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Now, I don't know how that quote hits your ears, how it strikes you, but it ministers to me. Because every time I come across that quote, and I was reading it again recently, and it's one of the things that I actually preach to my own heart quite regularly, it's a reminder to me that this life is not about me. This life is not about me, right? It's a powerful reminder of the mission that Christ has entrusted to all of us. We're called to live free from the desire to bring glory to our own name. It's not God's desire that we spend our lives bringing glory to our own name. A life that's lived to the fullest... A life that's saturated with the peace of Christ is a life that's bringing glory to Christ intentionally, right? And in fact, when you look at what Scripture reveals to us, if you want to get into theology, why do you even exist? What's your purpose? Why was humanity made? Why why does mankind walk the face of the earth? Why do we even exist? You know why we exist? The reason is this, to glorify Christ. To glorify God. That's why humanity was made. So if we're not doing that, we're going we're to spend our lives confused as to what the purpose of our life is. You have a lot of people going through midlife crises and, and early life crises and late life crises and everything else because they don't understand what their purpose is. Well, until you understand that the, the full reason the, that you were created was to glorify the Lord, you're going to wander throughout the course of your life trying to figure out how to get some of your own glory. And then you're going to start to realize that it was empty. Even if you get it, you're going to realize it wasn't enough. It did not satisfy that void in your soul. 
Glorifying Christ is the reason we were created in the first, in the first place. So preach the gospel and then die and be forgotten, but have Christ be the one that's remembered. Paul tells us that whatever we say, whatever we do should be done in the name of Jesus. We should give thanks to God the Father through Christ. So in essence, we're being called to live as grateful people who possess a deep understanding that life is not all about us. And many people in this world struggle to understand that concept. So you have people using one another, you have people taking advantage of one another, you have people stealing from one another, you have people even killing one another in the defense or in the promotion of their own name. But that should not be the mindset of any genuine believer in Jesus Christ. So let me say this as we finish up this morning. If we want to live with a mindset that isn't consumed with our own glory, we need to submit our our personal desire for glory over to Christ. Let's lay it down at His feet. Let's glorify His name. Let's welcome the presence of His Spirit in our lives. And let's clothe ourselves in, in His mindset so that we'll be prepared to joyfully face each day with the grace that he is so happy to supply us. It is a completely different way to think, but it's a better way to think. And it's useful in times like right now where things seem disjointed in the world. And it's going to be useful in 10 years when things still seem disjointed in the world, right? You know when it's not going to feel disjointed? When he returns, When he comes back and he makes everything the way it was supposed to be in the beginning. And if you're waiting for that to happen prior to his return, it's not going to happen. The sense of peace that we desire is not going to be found through ideal circumstances that are man-generated. The ideal peace, the mindset, the new way of thinking, it all comes down to who is Christ to you and what are you doing with his presence in your life. Is he a compartment, or does he permeate the whole thing? Do you welcome his peace? Does his peace rule in your heart? Or do you look at at his peace as something that you hope to obtain through ideal circumstances? And what the Scripture tells us here is, stop thinking so much about yourself. So it's telling me, John, stop thinking so much about yourself. Acknowledge the fact that Christ has forgiven you, and now forgive other people. Acknowledge the fact that Christ was compassionate to you, and then be compassionate. Acknowledge the fact that you will not have the peace that you desire until you get it from him. So then welcome it from him and let it rule in your heart. And don't ever convince yourself that you're going to find it anywhere else because you won't. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the privilege that it is to be able to start off our day and to start off our week looking at what your word states. And Lord, your word reveals so many things to us and it's It's foundational in our understanding of of life and godliness and what it looks like to walk with you. It's foundational in our understanding of what it actually looks like to live out this faith that you've placed in our hearts. Lord, we don't deserve your presence. We don't deserve your goodness. We don't deserve any of the blessings that you've entrusted to us. We are recipients of these things. These are gifts that have come from you. And so help us to have the mindset of, of men and women who are just recognizing the fact that we enjoy a whole bunch of things that we didn't earn. And so, Lord, we pray that we would share the blessings that you have shared with us, that your heart, that your mind would would be the way we 
approach life, that that would be the mindset that, that we adopt, that we would clothe ourselves in the new nature, in the sense that you tell us here, to walk as people who have been rescued and redeemed. You've given us a new life, so we pray, Lord, that we wouldn't try and clothe ourselves with the old nature or the old mindset that we used to adopt prior to coming to know you. But Lord, we know that this world is loud. We know that it's got a lot of influence. We know it's got a lot of pull. There are a lot of things in our day-to-day lives that sometimes we don't really think about how things really ought to be because we're just so used to how things are. And so we start to think about life in such a way that that this world's priorities kind of creep into our thinking. And then you help us by hitting this reset button. And you help us, Lord, by, by pointing us to a portion of Scripture like we just read that says this world's not going to offer you the things that you're hoping to get from it. It's not going to work. You are what works. So, Lord, we pray that we would think and see and live differently, that, that our hearts would just be completely saturated with your presence and that, again, any time someone would get anywhere near us, that they wouldn't, ha- they wouldn't be able to, to miss seeing you because you're present right there as well. Lord, we, again, thank you for the privilege to be able to look at this portion of your word together today. And we commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're tired of parenting advice and news headlines that are more confusing than assembling IKEA furniture, we've got just the podcast for you. My dear friend Abby and I are here to help you navigate the parenting roller coaster. Should your kids be on social media? What should you tell a friend facing an unplanned pregnancy? These are just some of the many questions we tackle on our podcast. Subscribe to The Real Deal of Parenting wherever you find your podcast.